Mother and child, come with me. Sisters young and old, now we see. Let's all come together. Mm -hmm. Come together. Well, I wanted to know what women in the South are thinking about feminism and to give Southern women a voice in the feminist movement. Do you consider yourself a feminist? I, I think I do, yes. Absolutely. I don't like defining myself as a feminist because when I tell someone I'm a feminist, they automatically go that way. While I will say, yes, I am a feminist, There's, I know that there's going to be explanation after that. Like, I'm going to have to explain myself. So, so... I feel like this Southern culture, especially in the Black culture, we were always like, you know, men first, women second. And then also, I didn't know what feminist meant. I feel like I am a feminist. I'm just not an aggressive feminist. I'm a feminist. I'm probably a quieter feminist. And I just pick and choose which things to be stronger feminist advocate about. I do believe feminism is for everybody. Hi, you're listening to the Fem South podcast, and I'm your host, Lee. So this is our first episode for 2021, and I am so excited for what's coming up in this next year. We've got some great book topics and books that we're going to be reading. If you haven't done so already, you can join our Facebook book club group and get more details about our book list and our discussion locations and times. We are a local book club, so we do meet in person for those of you who live in the area, but we also offer an online component to our in-person meetings. So if you aren't in the area, you can join us via Zoom. So to kick off the new year, we decided to focus on women healers as our first topic because 2020 was a tough year as everyone already knows, and I will save you all the replay, but 2021 is looking to be much more promising. We have our first woman of color, vice president. LGBTQT rights are on the rise, among many other great promising things for this next year. With that being said, though, there are many wounds that so many of us have endured. And so healing is an important topic for this next year, for 2021. How do we heal our individual wounds? How do we heal as a nation? How do we heal our world? Healing is important for us to be talking about, but we as women have a long history as healers and with healing. And so for 2021, our first topic of discussion for the Fem South Book Club is women healers. In January, we read two books. Uh, we read Women Healers, Portraits of Herbalist Physicians and Midwives by Elizabeth Brooke for our nonfiction book. And we also read Conjure Women by Afia Takora. And so today I'm going to be talking about both of these books. 
but I'm also going to be talking about the podcast series that I've developed around the topic of women healers, in which I'm very excited about. And then after that, I want to just briefly give you an overview of the books and topics that we're going to be reading this next year so that you can hopefully join along with us. I will also give you a forewarning that I am doing this solo today and my voice is very soothing. And so if you fall asleep, just know that it's okay. You needed the rest. So what is women healers? And what do we mean when we say women healers? This is a hard question to answer because a healer can be defined in a multitude of ways by culture. So it's really determined by the culture. Um, But typically, women healers are herbalists, medicine carriers, midwives, invokers, conjurers, nurses, wise women, counselors, abortionists. And these traditional healing methods are usually associated with folk or indigenous spiritual practices that are less corrupted by patriarchy and Western civilization. But this is a term that is pluralistic, right? Because it is very difficult to define without considering each culture's iteration of healing practices. And another important question to ask then is how does healing compare to more modern medical practices and terms like surgeon and doctor and practitioner and pharmacist? These are some of the questions that we're going to be diving into in this series, because what are we really talking about, right? We're talking about the evolution of modern medicine and healing practices, and we're talking about women's exclusion from these developments, not because they didn't contribute, but because their contributions were minimalized and misappropriated by patriarchy. So as I mentioned in the introduction, we read two books, and I want to talk about the nonfiction book that we read first. Again, the nonfiction book is entitled Women Healers, Portraits of Herbalists, Physicians, and Midwives by Elizabeth Brooke. Brooke's book is what I would consider an entry point into this conversation. Um, It's small. It's basically an encyclopedic overview of women healers starting in ancient Egypt and traveling along the Greek and Roman timeline into the Dark Ages, through the Renaissance, and into the late 1800s. She has a small chapter on indigenous women healers, but she doesn't really begin to even scratch the surface of the wide traditions that span the entire globe. And so that's why I say this is an entry point. It's an entry point into the idea that healing is political in the sense that those with the power to practice medicine legitimately get to develop it and determine the practices that become legitimate and mainstream and supported by the institution. And in the case of women, we have a brutal history of being oppressed when it comes to the development of medicine And so Brooks' book covers women in history who have made important contributions to medicine like Tertulla of Salerno and Hildegard of Bingen, Dr. Marietta Higgs, Mary Seacole, and a lot of other women briefly mentioned in this book. For me, I was really interested in learning about the more modern fight for women entering into the academic institutions in order to be certified as practitioners because that whole that whole movement keeps re- reminding me of how much we've really had to fight so hard for basic very basic rights that were taken from us and it's so crazy when you think about it because you know these are these are practices that we've done like birthing babies in midwifery 
since the beginning of humanity. And here we are now, even in the 21st century, still fighting for these rights. And so I want to read a little bit of the introduction to set up a few of the discussion points that came up when reading this book. As I mentioned before, this book traces a European path, and so it presents a very Eurocentric point of view, and it leaves out a lot of other practices and cultures. The author, Elizabeth Brooke, is aware of this issue, and she does make a disclaimer, and I will be reading that in this clip from the introduction. But I say all this to say that this was a problem that our book club had with the book, and it's something that we need to be very critical of. And it's certainly something to consider if you're thinking about using this in your own book club, that it, it is a very Eurocentric point of view. Brooke writes, quote, The reader will see that with a few notable exceptions, the politics of Europe have been defined by white male Christian values. That is, they have been and are racist, sexist, homophobic, and anti-Semitic. The struggle to prevent the underclass from practicing medicine has been constant and bloody. The ruling class has naturally endeavored to keep tight control over the professions and scholarship, so history also reflects this patriarchal and racist bias. Women, however, have now begun their own historical studies and are reconstructing history to reflect the experience of the majority of the world's population. She continues to write, quote, The sources for this book are few and far between, and therefore the accounts of the women's lives portrayed are at times infuriatingly sketchy. Lack of resources and publishing constraints mean that black women hardly feature in this book, except for the discussion of ancient Egypt in chapter 1 and the redoubtable Mary Seacole in chapter 8. No work of feminist scholarship is complete without the voices of black women, and I trust black women and other women of color will continue this work. End quote. So that's a piece in the introduction that's basically an apology or an excuse, however you want to look at it, for not including um, the history of black women as healers and midwives, especially in the United States and in the South, which is a very rich history. But to her credit, she does introduce us to some unknown women and some of the research and papers they wrote and the contributions that history has left out. And so it's really important for us to continue to do this research. So now I want to turn to Afia Takara's book, Conjure Women and where Brooks fails to go into the history of Black and Indigenous women's history in the United States, Afia picks up with her narrative. Afia's story takes place in the South, in the American South, in the 1800s. The names of the chapters oscillate between freedom time and slavery time. Uh, but the freedom time is just after the Civil War has ended and supposedly the South is supposed to be freeing all the slaves. And it's a few years before Reconstruction. So it's in this really interesting spot where now all the people who have been in enduring slavery for so long are now left to grapple with what it means to be free in the South where where freedom wasn't really given freely across the board, and certainly racism had not ended. The story goes back and forth between slavery time and freedom time 
because it goes back and forth between two narratives. Um, one of them is the, well, the, the, the protagonist is Rue, and Rue is a young child during slavery time, and her mother is the plantation's herbalist, healer, midwife, conjurer, and uh, Rue is a small child and learning from her mother and watching her mother. And so we learn from Maybelle, Ruth's mother, how these traditional African communities had women healers, had um, midwives and herbalists, and, um, and how this information would have been passed down from mother to daughter in an oral tradition. We also learn how, at this point, a lot of her practices, her cultural practices, are very complicated because on the one hand, they give her a sense of power, uh, some small sense of power in a very oppressive situation, uh, living life on a plantation. But also at the same time, we start to see that uh, losing of that power because of Christianity, because Christianity has already started to take hold in the community. And, um, and that's represented by another character, uh, Brew Abel, who is a, um, a light-skinned freed slave who seems to be moving freely between plantations, uh, carrying a Bible. And so he's kind of like this traveling Christian salesman, bringing the teachings of Christianity to the slaves, and also the idea of salvation and baptism, and influencing their spiritual practices and, and the way in which they relate to Ma Bell, and then later on the way in which they relate to Rue. So the the other part of the story, the other part of the narrative that takes place during what she calls um, freedom time is Rue's story when Rue has now grown into a woman, Maybelle has died, and she has now taken over the role of midwife and herbalist and healer in the community. And also, I would add, therapist. I mean, she does pretty much anything that a therapist would do because that was also something that um, women healers did before the age of psychology. And, um, and even Rue now... As she's gotten older, the conflict between Christianity and hoodoo, which is what they're practicing, and this is the term that uh, Afia uses to describe the religious spiritual practice of conjuring in the story, um, Rue is now practicing that, but she's she's much later into um, what begins to be a shift towards more um, rejection of these traditional practices where colonialism has really taken hold of the spiritual practices of the people. And it's a really interesting story because on the one hand, Afia gives us a really interesting perspective into the hoodoo practice, which has its roots in voodoo. And Maybell is certainly well versed in this practice and she has knowledge of plant medicines even though these are new plants having to be learned because now she's of course not in her native homeland um but she still practices herbalism and she seems to practice what seems to be um an americanized 
version of hoodoo, which was uniquely created by African enslaved people within the United States and seems to be a version of hoodoo that perhaps may have been more passable to um, to practice on a plantation under the radar of the white slave owners, which are voodoo dolls and spells and enchantments and things like that. You know, it's oftentimes considered a watered-down version of voodoo because it's been co-opted by American Hollywood and American media. And so that's, you know, that's a question that I would love to ask of the author and learn more about what her intent was there and what her relationship is with voodoo. There's so many different layers here in this book. I mean, it's a really great story. I mean, Afia's storytelling is is beautiful. There were so many pages that I circled or so many lines that I circled because they were just so beautifully uh, written. And there's so many different rabbit holes that I went into after reading this story. Um, again, I really wanted to learn more about hoodoo and voodoo. It made me really start to think about African spiritual practices and their relationship with plants and plant medicines and the way in which the environment served as a source of spiritual nourishment. And so, um, I don't know, that's just a question that, again, another question that came up for me after reading this book and I wanted to learn more about. And then, of course, there's the element of forced Christianity upon these slaves and how we're starting to see this blend of spiritual practices and a blend of Christianity and a blend of uh, voodoo. But we also start to see Christianity take more and more of a hold in the minds of the of the um, enslaved people on this plantation and how they began to be afraid of Rue. They think that Rue is conjuring some evil spell because all the babies on the plantation began to develop some kind of mysterious illness and die. And it's a long story, but Rue is um, Rue has a special connection to one baby in particular that they suspect is somehow some kind of evil conjuring because this one baby seems to be is is not getting sick, and it's the baby that Rue delivered that she has a special affinity for. So we're starting to see the early signs of assimilation and the effects that it has on the traditional religious practices of these people. And we see this in characters like Brew Abel, because Brew Abel is the character who represents Christianity, the one that is kind of in conflict uh, with Rue, because now the people on the plantation are looking more towards him for spiritual guidance and for miracles. So now he's seen as a miracle worker because his miracles come through a Christian God, through salvation and um and baptism, whereas Rue's herbal remedies and spells and conjuring are considered evil. You would think that that would be the end of it, and there would be this constant conflict between Rue and Brew Abel, but in fact, they actually develop a relationship, and we learn, Rue learns, that Brew is actually, Brew Abel is actually, a, you know, struggles with alcoholism and isn't what the community thinks he is. But then at the same time, she recognizes that she is also not what the community thinks she is, that there's some kind of um, common thread of deceiving 
people that they both share, that they're both charlatans preying on the desperation of the people and preying on the the superstitious nature of the people, which I found to be very interesting. And I kind of wondered then what is the author's relationship to um, these religious spiritual practices? Is she making a statement then about them? Because if Rue doesn't even have confidence in her own abilities, that which was handed to her by her mother, does that say then that, that this tradition is on the verge of ending? And is that all a result of Christianity or is there something else going on there? Because the book ends with Rue as an older woman battling cancer in a modern hospital. And, you know, she sees this doctor who reminds her of the small child, Black Eyed Bean, who followed her, her around and learned some of these um, healing modalities from her, but also left the plantation because he was light-skinned and could pass as a white person and left with the plantation owner's daughter. Farina, and that's a whole nother complicated layer of the story that I haven't even talked about. But I say all this to say that the story ends with the medical institution and her walking out the door with this doctor. And so there's an interesting statement to end with. And what is that statement that she's trying to make? Is it that the medical institution is ultimately one here? but that she still helped build that medical institution because a lot of the medical practices that we now have were built on the backs of women like her, on the backs of enslaved women who had this traditional knowledge, but became obscure within the community, became marginalized by the, ins the growing institution. And what we learn later on with the granny midwives became marginalized because of racism and oppression. So there's all these questions that came up with this book. And, and so I went into several different directions when developing the podcast series where I go out into the community and I talk to people who are doing all these various things in the community as they relate to some of the topics that come up in the book. And one of the central themes in this book is midwifery because Maybell is a midwife and Rue becomes a midwife and they deliver all the babies, both for the enslaved people and also for the white people, the plantation owner. They deliver the plantation owner's children. And Mado, who is another character, important character in the novel, um, nurses all the babies, the white babies, and um, teaches them. She's the educator. And so I wanted to talk to midwives and I wanted to learn more about the tradition of midwifery among enslaved African women and indigenous women, especially within the United States, and how, and how that developed and, and where we are now. And so I interview several doulas or birth workers who see strong connections between birthing and social justice and empowerment for all those involved in the birthing process. And so my first episode is me speaking with Nafisa as Salafia, who is the founder of Daughters of Daisy Marie Doula Services and the Mbegu Birthing Project. I also interview Ari Guajardo Johnson, birth worker, community educator, holistic peer counselor for survivors of sexual violence, and founder of Birth Bruja. 
I also speak with Pamela Smith-Zellner, who was one of the founding members of the farm in Tennessee, which became the Farm Midwife Center and was started by the infamous midwife Ida Mae Gaskin. And Pamela is going to talk to us about her experience giving birth with Ida Mae Gaskin. I also talk with two women, friends of mine, who work with plant medicines and entheogens in healing circles that they offer in their homes. They particularly work with psilocybin. Um, And unfortunately, because certain plant medicines are still illegal, I have to keep their identities confidential and say very little about their professional identifiers. But I can say that it is a wonderful discussion about the sacred magical mushroom and the wisdom that comes from these healing plants when treated with reverence and intention. Throughout all of these interviews, I've just learned so much about how empowering it is for women to take back control of their reproductive rights. Um, I learned about the amazing service that doulas provide. Doulas play a very important role for women to understand their rights and to understand how to navigate the birthing experience prior to birthing and postnatal care. I also learned a lot about midwifery in Alabama and the legacy of midwifery and how Black women and Indigenous women were instrumental in developing modern gynecology in the United States through horrible exploitation and treatment of their bodies and of their knowledge, and how very little respect has been given to their contribution, and how much they've had to struggle after the granny midwives and midwifery in Alabama became illegal. And so that's a really fascinating history as well. And then I learned a lot about plant medicines and, um, and psilocybin and how psilocybin is being used to treat mental health and how important it is to, to treat it with respect and how much of an impact it can make when it is held in such high regard with ceremony, with reverence for ancestral wisdom. And so, yeah, it's been a really great journey. And um, both of these books have really opened me up to all of these different elements of women healing. And just one final thought on women healers, you know, with the world being what it is right now and us talking about how important it is that we heal our nation, I think that we can turn to some of these traditions and these modalities that, um, that can feed our souls, that can feed our connection with nature, and that can bring us back into our own intuition and our own inner ways of knowing. I think that's something that we women have to do as a part of the movement forward. And, you know, whether we're talking about shamans or medicine women or conjurers, kirinderas and gomas, or any other cultural term for those with the knowledge and the training to heal with these traditional medicines, These traditional medicines and practices are a part of us and will continue to be a part of us. And we will continue to evolve with these medicines so long as we pass them down and seek this information out. And the series that I'm putting out only scratches the surface. It doesn't even begin to cover the multitude of cultures and traditions of women healers. And so, if anything, this is just an invitation to learn more about these um, 
these histories. And so I'll finish by looking ahead at the book topics that we're going to be reading this year, and I'll just go over a few of them. I mean, we're currently reading poetry. We're reading a book called Sisters of the Earth, Women's Prose and Poetry About Nature, and we're also reading Faru Farazakhed's collection of poems called Sin. We're also going to be looking at Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's Americana, along with Toni Morrison's Playing in the Dark. We're going to look at Women in Finances um, by reading Clever Girl Finance Shop, a couple of the books that they have on their website. And then we're going to also be looking at The Art of Feminism, Images that Shape the Fight for Equality, while reading Linda Nochlin's article, Why Have There Been No Great Women Artists? And then we'll probably in the year looking at body image and diet culture, but we haven't decided on that book yet. So if you are interested in reading along with us, we'd love to have you. Again, just as a reminder, we have a private Facebook book club group where we post our events and talk about the books online. You can also follow us on Instagram at VimSouth. And we're doing a lot of our discussions are now going to be offered both in person and on Zoom. So you can join our in-person group from the comfort of your own home. So there's plenty of opportunity to connect with like-minded women who are trying to grow and learn and be better feminist in this modern world. So thank you so much for listening and please be on the lookout for this series of podcasts that I will be putting out over the next several weeks. The Fem South is a podcast and book club community produced in the Deep South. We are dedicated to educating, supporting, and empowering women through feminist theory and community. We are intersectional, we are inclusive, and we believe there is no one way to be a feminist. Feminism is an ongoing journey of self-discovery and activism. Our book club is an ongoing exchange between theory and embodiment, and we are simply here to hold space for this collective journey. If you want to get involved with FemSouth, you can go to our website at femsouth.com and sign up for our newsletter. If you would like to be a part of our book club, you can ask to join our private Facebook book club group where we read and discuss books online. You can also follow us on Instagram and listen to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play. We'd really appreciate it if you would give us some feedback and a rating so that we can know what you, dear listeners, are thinking. If you feel motivated to support us, you can head over to our Patreon account, Patreon slash FemSal, where you can select your monetary gift. So until next time, you've been listening to them south.